Best Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing f- Put that in. I don't... So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past. I'm talking about the history. I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say... Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at at this. Brady is out. And David Mack. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. From the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR radio network and available on demand through Ustream. It's the past ball show brought to you by JohnPLE.com. Today is the 5th of January 2012. A lot of great stuff to go over. I uh, just want to let you guys know a couple things going on next week. I'm going to have Justin Silverman, who's the host of Mets Today, Right or Wrong, on Block Talk Radio. He's going to join me in studio. We're going to have some good discussion uh, in regards to baseball. I think we're going to bring back the Mets a little bit. Uh, you know, a lot of my listeners are Mets fans like myself. Uh, last couple shows, you know, we've hit up baseball, pretty much all aspects of it, every team, everything that's going on. We're going to go back a little bit into the Mets, and we're going to talk about really where they're at. I mean, there's a lot of different things, you know, we could talk about, you know, they pretty much have st- stood put this year. Where do they rank in regards to the rest of the division? It seems like everybody in the Mets division has gotten better, and the Mets are kind of just happy where they are. And, you know, what does that look forward through the 2012 season? Well, the answer, I think it's pretty obvious. But, you know, there's a lot of things we're going to talk about. <clears throat> I plan on doing up a uh, hockey show with a buddy of mine, Mike Downey, who is a – he really is my hockey expert. The guy knows everything you could imagine about hockey. And sometime in February, around the trading deadline, I think it will be great to get him in studio and really go over a lot of stuff that's going on with hockey, with the trading deadline. Uh, there's a lot of issues about the concussions, and we could kind of make a, a parallel to what's gone on in baseball. Obviously, hockey is more of a contact sport, but there are some serious issues with concussions in baseball and really the whole treatment of that, and I think it's a real serious problem in professional sports. And Mike's going to join us in studio. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great show. As soon as I get that date set up, I'll let you know. I've also gotten a hold of you know a lot of different people. I'm going to have some uh, some athletes, some writers, um, some media people. They're going to be joining me in studio or over the phone through Skype, which I think is going to be great. Um, I'm not going to mention any names until I book a show. Once I'm set, say this day, this person's going to be here, or this person's going to call in. But um, you guys will be you know, pretty happy with some of the people I'm going to be able to 
bring into the show, which I think will be fun. Let's, uh, let's start out with the New York Mets, who really went out of their way to sign a big free agent, the one that everybody in baseball was hoping that the Mets would bring back. The guy who was with the Mets last year, and all he kept thinking about, are the Mets going to retain him next year? And yes, today he signed on the dotted lines, and that's Scott Hairston, who's coming back as a backup outfielder, one year, $1.1 million contract, same as what he made last year. But, you know, kind of funny. Man, maybe not. Uh, yeah, as a Met fan, it's kind of sickening seeing what's going on. Um, I'm sure there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, they do have 25 players who are going to be on a roster. They have a manager. They have a general manager. They're operating a baseball team. But I tell you, I can't think of really too many years in the past where it just looks so gloomy going into the season. I mean, you have to go back probably to about, you know, the, you know, the early to mid-90s, maybe 93, 94 was really the last time, you know, you were really not excited about, you know, the prospects of the team this year. But, you know, going back to seeing what's happened with some teams in the past, the San Diego Padres a couple of years ago, nobody expected anything from them, and they managed to contend for most of the season. And as a Met fan, if you could get anything close to what the Padres did in 2010, I think you'd be pretty excited. Sandy Alderson is saying the Mets are going to look to sign players in a $1.5 million or less range which is not really much of a surprise. I mean, it's good to see that he's saying something as far as looking for players of some sort. He's got a swingman and a bullpen that he is looking to sign. Um, I do believe the bench is going to get a little better. I think as you get into January, some free agents that were commanding a lot more money earlier um, end up wanting to play. And, you know, especially some that aren't really experienced in the free agent market very often are going to want to settle for what teams are looking to pay them. And I think that's where Sandy Alderson steps in, you know, does his business. And, you know, maybe he could get a couple players for a million and a half or less that are, have a lot more value than that. And that's what you're hoping for. You want to put some incentives in the contract, great. And you know what, if these players fulfill the incentives, then the team should be better. So that's really what you're looking for for the Mets. Um, I was really interested in the Carl Zambrano trade. Um, if you haven't heard, he was traded, uh, I think it was finalized today from the Chicago Cubs to the Florida Marlins in exchange for a pitcher, Chris Ballstat. And obviously there's a lot you're going to be taking with Zambrano. You know, is, is um, you know, kind of behind the scenes issue, his effect on the team. And you gotta, I, I got to say, I mean, he was a pretty big impact on what didn't go right for the Chicago Cubs in 2010 and 2011. Now, we could talk about this all you want, but, you know, there is talent on that team. And you got a guy who really is going out of his way to cause a problem. And it's not going to help things. I mean, you know, if you, you know, obviously there's going to be issues with Lou Pinella, who was there in 2010, ended up leaving. You know, he's going to be an in-your-face kind of manager. You know, a guy that certainly is going to clash with a guy like Carl Zambrano, but a guy like Mike Quaddy, who nobody really knows that much about. But here's a longtime minor league manager, a guy with a track record for being very good on the field manager, as as well as getting along with the players, and. From what some people have said, you know, Mike Quaddy is really a hard guy not to get along with and to have the same problems going into the next season. I mean, it's obvious. We all knew it all along 
that Carl Zambrano was a reason that the Cubs were not what they were supposed to be. And I don't know what happened at the end of this season with him, you know, getting suspended, but obviously it's something that he did. And the Cubs, I think, did the right thing by getting rid of him. Now, the hardest thing to do is, you know, Theo Epstein coming in there as the new general manager, you know, you don't want to propose to the ownership about, you know, eating a whole bunch, a whole bunch of this contract. The guys do $18 million in 2012, which I think is ridiculous. But I forgot to throw the phone number out there. It's 201-257-5650. Uh, I'll take your calls up until 6 o'clock. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep on going here. But um, they get uh, Chris Volstad in exchange for Zambrano. And really, if you look at Volstad, he was drafted in the same draft in 2005 as Mike Pelfrey, first round, 16th pick overall. And the guy kind of came up to the majors pretty quick. He was up there by age 21. He, was, he came out of high school when he was drafted. Guy has an amazing amount of talent. Uh, his strikeout numbers through high school, obviously, he had way more strikeouts and innings pitched. He goes to the majors. It's not the same. You, know, you look at major league hitters, they're going to hit a good fastball. But the guy has some good other pitches. He does have the ability to be, at the very least, a middle-of-the-rotation starter. And the Marlins, over the last couple of years, were trying to work him in. You know, they figured pitching him with Josh Johnson and Annabelle Sanchez and Ricky Nolasco, that he could kind of just blend in, go under the scenes, and just kind of stand out. And that didn't really happen. Now, this is his first year that he's due a nice raise in arbitration. He made 455000 last year. And, you know, he's projected to make about $2.5 million, which pretty much is what the Marlins agreed to pay Carlos Zambrano for this year. Out of the $18 million that the Cubs on contract for, the Marlins are going to pick up two and a half, and the Cubs are going to take the rest. So I think this trade could help the Cubs in a couple different ways. Number one, getting Zambrano off that team was a big sign. You know, it was a positive sign. It says something good for the rest of the players there, especially the ones that have been there for the last, you know, three, four, five years, that, you know, the culture is going to change a little bit. You got a new new manager in Dale Swaim. You don't have to worry about a relationship between Zambrano and a new manager, which would be the third one in three seasons for this guy. So I think that that definitely helps. Number two, you do get a guy in Volstad who could help you. I'll pop up his stats real quick. Last year, just five and thirteen for the Marlins in twenty nine starts, four eighty nine ERA, hundred sixty five two thirds innings, one hundred seventeen Ks. Now, this was a down year for him. The prior year, he looked pretty good. It was 12-9, a little bit of a lower ERA. Same, pretty much the same uh, strikeout-to-inning pitch ratio. Uh, for his career, 32-39, 459 ERA, 102 starts, 584 innings pitched, 378 Ks. But the thing is, the guy's only 25. Now, I don't think the Cubs made this deal thinking that they you know, won the lottery. I mean, there is a chance you're taking with this guy. But I remember the guy was a first-round draft pick in 2005. The guy has <clears throat> been steadily in the major leagues for the last three seasons. And you know what? You, you put him with a new pitching coach, a new organization, maybe he turns it around. And I think you could pencil him in, especially if Matt Garza gets traded, in a Cubs rotation somewhere. And I do, like, I do like the acquisition of Travis Wood. I saw him in person a couple years ago pitch for the Reds against the Mets. And the guy has some good stuff. So, you know, you put a couple young arms in there to mix in the rotation – and listen, the Cubs are rebuilding. There's no question about it. All the talks about them getting Prince Fielder. I did the, you know, I did the top whatever five 
scenarios where I could see Prince Fielder going to. I didn't put the Cubs on the list for a reason. I mean, I don't, I don't think the Cubs are going to, you know, rebuild for the next five years. But they're putting something in place to be really good in five years. I mean, I could see them making a move next year, maybe add a player or two. But I don't see them dishing out the money to get Prince Fielder. I do think I think it's going to be a rough season for the Cubs, pretty similar to the Mets. And, you know, you, as a Cub fan, you pretty much have to just see where it goes. But I think giving up Zambrano was a positive step and getting something for him. You get a young pitcher in Ballstadt who could work out in a rotation somewhere, I think would be definitely positive. Um, as far as the Marlins getting Zambrano, listen, all you're banking on right here is that, number one, the guy – retains his talent, which he has for the most part. Last year was not a good year for him. Popping up his numbers, 9-7, and seven, 482 ERA, and 24 starts. 101 Ks, 145 and two-thirds innings pitched. It was probably one of the worst seasons he's had. Now, the year before, he had the issues with Pinella and ended up pitching towards the end of the season. Actually, was one of the better pitchers in baseball in September of 2010. So he's not really far removed from having his, his act together on the mound. And if you watched him pitch last year, you know, there was, there, was, there was faces and signs of the old Carlos Zambrano. Now, I don't know. if The Marlins aren't looking for him to be their ace. They're not looking for him to be their opening day starter, their number one guy, the guy that's going to make 35 starts, the guy that's going to pitch 250 innings, you know, eight to ten complete games. You know, they're not looking for that. They're not expecting him to win 20 games. But I think if you get a Carlos Zambrano that shuts his mouth for a year, and just goes out there and pitches, solidifies a spot in a rotation, there's a very good chance he could win 15 games, especially on a team that's improved. You know, you talk about Reyes and having Hanley Ramirez there, but you also got, you know, guys like Mike Stanton and Logan Morrison. They should be able to score some runs. And then you got a pitching staff that, you know, added in addition to Zambrano, Mark Burley, and he got Josh Johnson coming back. All, all we hear is that he's going to be healthy, he's going to be ready to go. You got Sanchez, you got Ricky Nolasco, and Heath Bell in the bullpen. This team could be pretty good. Yeah, as a Mets fan, I'm hoping it I'm hoping it all falls apart. You know, the big thing with Sam Brano, you're looking, you know, for him to continue his relationship with Ozzie Guillen. They're both Venezuelans. They have spoken a lot. They get along. And maybe Ozzie Guillen is the manager for him. Maybe you get a guy that's like him, that's fiery, that's crazy, just like him. And maybe they could continue their bond and it doesn't become an issue in Florida or Miami. The Cincinnati Reds are interested in a couple outfielders, Cody Ross, Rick Ankiel, and Ryan Ludwig. You know what they all have in common? They're all left-handed throwers, which I found pretty weird. Uh, I guess the Reds have decided that if they're going for their, you know, their third outfielder or fourth outfielder, they want to make sure they got somebody that can throw from the left hand. And, you know, obviously Ankiel has a tremendous arm. But uh, Cody Ross is probably the best choice out of the three. The guy can still pop 20 home runs. He's a pure hitter, a pure power hitter. And if you could add him to your lineup somehow, I think he would be a, a benefit for pretty much any team. So, if uh, you know, if I had a choice of the three and I was a Cincinnati Reds, I would go with Cody Ross. And I want to try to straighten up something with you guys. Anybody that's still on uh, Ryan Braun didn't do anything wrong, wrong bandwagon, I think it's time to get off of it. Because everything you hear now is that Major League Baseball isn't going to let down a little bit. They're not going to investigate this thing anymore. 
the bottom line is Ryan Braun is getting suspended for 50 games at the start of next season. Now, I said before, I don't think he's the guy that's, you know, pumping anabolic steroids into his veins. But he obviously made a mistake, and he's going to pay the price for it. Now, I don't know how intended he was. I don't know if he was using something which was enhancing his performance. But unfortunately, his MVP does come into question. You know, it comes into question a lot more than it would have if we hadn't heard anything about Ryan Braun after the season was over. Here's one of the brighter young players in the game, a guy that's really starting to come around, becoming one of the best players in the game. The Milwaukee Brewers acknowledge this. They give him a ridiculous extension to play till he's whatever, till he's 45, 50, 60. They'll have him there forever. And the bottom line is he made a mistake. Now, I think most baseball fans will be able to forgive you if you make a mistake. But the bottom line is this is a guy that's going to have to pay the price. He's going to be suspended for 50 games, and there's really going to be no asterisks by it. Unfortunately, he is in the same boat as a Manny Ramirez or an Alex Rodriguez or Rafael Palmeiro. And I understand we're talking about different levels here. We're talking about different levels. We're talking about players, you know, the prior players were really pumping stuff into their veins and they were enhancing their performance without a doubt. But Ryan Braun made a mistake too. And whether he, talk, he was talked into taking something that he shouldn't have or whether he took something and didn't think it was a big deal, whether he took the product from GNC, the bottom line is it had something in it that was illegal. It was a performance-enhancing substance that they found in his system. So all the apologists for Ryan Braun could kind of back off a little bit and realize the guy's going to pay the price for something he did. Now, I'm not putting him in the same boat as Rafael Palmeiro. But the guy made a mistake. He's going to serve the first 50 games of the season on a suspension. And then after that, he could regain his dignity back. And the Milwaukee Brewers, probably a team that really couldn't have taken this any worse than any, than, than any team in baseball. You know, got a team that's right about to lose Prince Fielder as a free agent. A team that's coming off of a division win, putting together some pitching, finally putting together a team. They decided, <clears throat> excuse me, they decided that they're going to build a team around Ryan Braun. And what happens? They're going to have to play the first 50 games of the season without him. And there is enough talent on that team. I like the Aramis Ramirez signing. I, I think a good, very good place for Carlos Pena would be in Milwaukee, play first base, take a one-year contract, 10 to $12 million. The Brewers could afford it. I think he'll help them out. They still got the pitching. Their bullpen's going to be great. Uh, I don't think anybody expected K-Rod to come back as a setup man for them. So this is a team that looks good on paper, but it's going to need Ryan Braun to be in the middle of their order for them to be a serious World Series contender. Recapping the block from last week, and you want to call in the number here is 201-257-5650. Uh, I was talking the other day about Hiroki Kuroda, and Kuroda – his stats aren't going to wow you. But the bottom line is the guy pitches 200 innings every year. He really has what it takes to pitch. He knows what he's doing out there. Any team that adds him is going to be able to count on him to make 33 starts, pitch 200 innings. And if you're a good team, he's probably going to win more games than he loses. Now, what is that worth on the open market today? Well, if you ask Kuroda and his agent, 
It's about 12 to 15 million a year. And that's the reason why he hasn't signed yet. Now, the Dodgers have paid him pretty well over the last three seasons, which I think that has something to do with what his asking price is. And it started out where he wanted to stay in L.A. with the Dodgers, and the Dodgers really couldn't, in their minds, they, they couldn't go with the 12 to $15 million for one year, even if it's a guy that's established himself, a guy that's proven himself with them. So then he says, hey, I'll, I'll play in Los Angeles for the Angels. And they go out and they sign C.J. Wilson. And they have a tremendously stacked rotation to begin with. So they don't really need anything. So he goes on the open market, says, hey, I'll sign with any team. What team's going to pay me the 12 to $15 million? And come January 5th, 2012, he's still unsigned. Now, I did a little countdown, a little breakdown of what teams could probably use him the most. And I started with the Colorado Rockies, who have been looking for a pitcher all offseason. You know, they were linked to Gio Gonzalez. They were, they're still linked to Jonathan Neese of the New York Mets. They're interested in acquiring Edwin Jackson, but not at his price. Kuroda could work out there. And Kuroda has had a good relationship with some of the young pitchers with the Dodgers, like Kershaw and Billingsley, and certainly would help some of the young pitchers that the Rockies have coming through their system. Now, Colorado trading Ubaldo Jimenez last year, I think was a little bit of a trick. I don't think anybody really understood what that was. On paper, it looks like they're rebuilding. They're not. The bottom line is they put their best pitcher on the market looking for a ridiculous package and to get overwhelmed. They didn't get the prospects they wanted from the Yankees, but they got a nice package back from the Cleveland Indians. And a guy like Drew Pomerantz and some of the other guys they got in this trade are really going to help them for the future. And this is a team that's kind of retooling as opposed to rebuilding. They trade Jimenez. They get some really good prospects back. Some of the best prospects in baseball they get back. And they're going to be competitive for years to come. They're looking to add a pitcher. Edwin Jackson could fall in their lap. But probably the most reasonable scenario for them will be to go after a guy like Kuroda. A couple teams I mentioned, the Mariners and the Rangers. You know, the U Darvis situation, you know, he ended up going back to Japan. I don't know if that means the contract negotiations didn't go well. He's looking for five years, $75 million. I don't know where the Rangers sit with that. But that's about what they were offering C.J. Wilson. Now, you gotta, you got to probably figure that they'll come to some sort of an agreement. But if they don't, the Rangers are going to need to add a starter real quick. And Kuroda might provide that build. The Mariners, I think, are a sleeper. It's a possibility they could get involved. Remember the, the link with the Japanese community that they have in Seattle, all the put in. You know, they have a very big fan base over there. And Kuroda would fit in very well with that. Then you go to the AL East for the other three teams. The Blue Jays who I think are pretty much in on every pitching free agent. Unfortunately, they haven't landed anybody yet. But, you know, you look at the Yankees, who I think will be a fallback option if they don't land Roy Oswalt. And I've said all along that Oswalt's going to end up with the Yankees. He's a guy, he's a big game pitcher. He's only a year removed from going 9-1 and one in the second half of the season for the Phillies. He has 20-win stuff. He has no doubt legitimate number two starter stuff in New York for the Yankees. He will be the number two behind Sabathia. And I continue to say, and I'll continue to say this, he's going to the Yankees. But if the Yankees fall out of it, Kuroda would be a good option for them. In the end, I see him going to Boston. Boston was my number one choice where I see him going. They could use a starter. They're not looking for anybody to take over the rotation. But Kuroda, I think with the Red Sox, could kind of fall under the radar, be a number four starter for them. 
when they got John Lester, they got Josh Beckett, they got Clay Buckholtz. Kuroda is the number four starter, could kind of go under the radar, you know, make his 30 starts, pitches 200 innings, and maybe he could win 16, 18 games for them. You know, Bobby Valentine, you know, has, has managed over in Japan where Kuroda has played. I think that's going to be the best fit. And especially on a one-year deal where the Red Sox are burned by a couple contracts that they're sitting on, that they're going to have to pay people for years. They don't have to make a huge commitment to a guy like Hiroki Kuroda. So I think it'll be in Boston. thing that I was talking about the other day, and you want to chat, you want to come in, it's 201-257-5650 on a passball show brought to you by JohnPLE.com. I was talking about the MLB trade system. And the bottom line is it's getting ruined by greed. Greed by the general managers, greed by the organizations. Years ago, and I hate to say years ago, because to me it seems like it was yesterday, where trades used to be fair. It used to be a player for a player. I got a player that can help your team. You got a player that can help my team. Let's swap them. Or you got a player that's making a lot of money that I know is going to help our team. I'll give you the legit pieces that are going to help your organization get to where it needs to get. And it was fair. It's not anymore. The general managers are becoming prima donnas. They, they, want, they want everything for nothing. You know, and I'm not going to name organizations. I don't think that's fair. But certain general managers are going to go out there and they, they're going to want the best player on your team. And you know what they're going to want to give you? A whole list of everything that they don't want. They evaluate their prospects, their top five, ten prospects are automatically off the radar, off the screen. That's it. You can't get them. And I don't care if it's your best player by a mile. I'm not trading my top guys. So what's the purpose of a trade? You want the other team's best player and you don't want to give up anything for it. But it works both ways. You know, the team that has the star, that has the big pitcher, the team that has the star hitter, that's looking to, they're, they're looking to trade them. Maybe they don't want to pay their contract. Maybe they decide to rebuild because their team ain't playing well. That team wants a king's ransom. And I'll, I'll use Jose Reyes as an example. There was no way he was getting traded for the Mets because teams were not going to offer top prospects to get the guy in a two-month rental, rental. And I've said that before, and I'll say it till I'm – laying in a grave with some dirt on me. They were not trading Jose Reyes because another team isn't going to give up top prospects for a player who's only going to be there for two months. We knew all along he was testing free agency. We knew all along that no matter what team he was playing for, he was waiting for this year to be a free agent so he could cash in and get the big deal, which he ended up getting. So that's fine. So the Mets... Ended up getting two draft picks, which in my mind, and come on and rant with me all you want, they got a lot more with those two draft picks than they would with anything they would have gotten. Do you want three names? Because that's what you're going to get. You're going to get three guys that are probably going to stick around in the minor league system, maybe make a cup of coffee in the majors, but have no impact. And you go through the draft, you got two extra draft picks now. You get to pick your own players here, make an educated decision, and there's a chance that both of the players you could draft are going to have an impact at the major league level sometime. And that's a fact. 
But the bottom line is both teams, when I'm talking this trade proposal thing, they want to outdo one another. They want to give up very little for the star player. And they want to get an organization's top prospects probably more than they should get. And I remember 2006, going back, the Mets are competing for a division title. They end up winning the division. And Chuck Lamar is the general manager of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. They have a closer. He's putting up some good numbers. He's had a couple good years for them. Dan is Baez. And what does he want? He wants, he wants gold. For a, a, a closer, maybe, a middle reliever whose shelf life in the majors was not that long. I know he pitched for Philadelphia last year, but he was nowhere near the pitcher that he was for those couple years in Tampa Bay. And that's what I'm talking about. You got a guy like Dennis Baez who has very little value. You could get a couple young players for him, and Chuck Lamar should have done it. But instead, he wants to go for gold. He was stuck with his pitcher. He became a free agent. He's gone. He got nothing. He wasn't ranked. He wasn't a type A player, so he didn't get any draft picks for him. And, hey, that's the way it goes. Matt Garza, is he worth the asking price? And my, my answer to that is no. Here's a guy who teams have said he's a middle-of-the-rotation pitcher. He's coming off a pretty good year. He was 500 for a Cub team that wasn't very good. 332 ERA, 198 innings pitch, 197 strikeouts. So just about a strikeout an inning. And going to the National League certainly helped him out a little bit. You know, where he's pitching in the American League with Tampa Bay, you got to go up against the Yankees and the Red Sox. You're going to have a couple bad games. You know, you get to pitch in the National League, kind of under the radar, a Cub team that's not going very far. A little easy for him to pitch well. So he had a good season for the Cubs. Obviously, Theo Epstein is looking to get as many decent prospects as he can for him. And the reason he's not traded right now is the asking price is too high. I mean, you're not going to get the jewels of a team's organization for a guy like Matt Garza, who right now is better than a middle-of-the-rotation starter. If he goes to the Yankees, he's their number two. If he goes to the Red Sox, he probably breaks the top three. You know, if he goes to the Marlins, he's a top-two starter. So there's no question about it. He's definitely, he's definitely a top-of-the-rotation pitcher. But he isn't worth an organization crown jewels. On New Year's Day, I brought up Billy Wagner and his Hall of Fame credibility. Now, right off the bat, you're going to say, Billy Wagner? He's not Mariano Rivera. And that's what you pretty much say about all relief pitchers. But I take his stats and I put them through the grinder. And they're a lot better than a lot of people think. They really are. Here's a guy who's right up there stat-wise. And you don't count the postseason because the guys that I'm comparing to weren't tremendous postseason pitchers for the exception of Mariano. You talk about Bruce Suter, who was in one or two playoffs. I know he won the World Series with the Cardinals in 82. Raleigh Fingers with the Brewers. He was in that same World Series. Dennis Eckersley, he's a great pitcher, but wasn't a big postseason pitcher. Remember the Gibson home run. Goose Gossage helped the Yankees out, but remember he gave up a Gibson home run himself in 84. 
So none of these pitchers, for the exception of Rivera, stand out as all-time postseason relievers. So when we're trying to judge a closer or a middle reliever, it's Hall of Fame credibility. The postseason stats don't mean as much. And you want to break down Wagner's career. We talk about a couple seasons, the year he had in 2010 with the Braves. 1-5 ERA, 40 saves. was one of his best seasons. But 2005 with the Phillies, 38 saves, 1.51 ERA, 77 and two-thirds innings, 87 Ks. It's up there with any big-time relief season ever. 1999. 39 saves, 157 ERA, 74 and two-thirds innings, 127 Ks. Now, you think that's enough? Probably not. I haven't given you a reason to put your vote or cast your vote for Billy Wagner. But what I did is I used the relievers that I just mentioned. Rivera, Suter, Gossage, Eckersley, Fingers. And I put Billy Wagner in there. And I ranked them all. I ranked all their career stats and where they ended up standing up. And here's where Billy Wagner ranked. Six pitchers we're talking about, including Wagner. Lowest DRA, second only to Mariano Rivera. Whip. Lowest whip out of any of the six. Games finished, third out of any of the six. Saves. Second only to Rivera. Strikeouts. Third out of the six. And you know what? Out of the six pitchers, he pitched the fifth most games. Which means four to five, four to, four to five other pitchers pitched more games than him. And every one of them pitched more innings than he did. And one thing that makes Billy Wagner stand out is his strikeouts per nine innings which is almost 13 strikeouts per nine innings, which is one of the best ever starters, relievers. So I think when we're talking about the steroids era and how it's going to hold people back and people are not going to be voted for because of it, a guy like Billy Wagner is going to get more consideration than he normally would have. Join me, 201-257-5650. I'm just going to go over one more thing. We got uh, we talked about on the 31st, I talked about Andre Ethier. Guy for the Dodgers, outfielder. Had a big season in 2009. Has kind of faltered a little bit. Was known for his 30-something game hitting streak he had last year and kind of just didn't really finish strong. He ended up playing 135 games last year. 292, 11 homers, 62 RBIs. Now you put him through the grinder and... If the Dodgers are willing to trade him, he's probably a valuable bat. Now, talk about teams he could end up with. I'm sure there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them you could think of. You could even think of the Mets. I I think the Giants would definitely be in it. You know, we're looking at a guy that's probably about to make $10 million in arbitration, which to today's standards is not terrible. The Red Sox could use an outfielder. They have a couple players in their farm system the Tigers might be looking to add an outfielder so when it's all said and done the Dodgers want to put Andre Ethier on a trading block there's a good chance that somebody will pick him up and be able to get some use out of him but then again you got to figure where the Dodgers are now 
Dodgers finished 82 and 80 last year. They had the Cy Young Award winner in Clayton Kershaw. They had one of the best players in the game in Matt Kemp. They won, you know, like I said, there were two games over 500 after a horrendous start. There's a lot of things that are moving right in their direction. I think they got their manager. Don Mattingly looks like he's got those players. And in an NL West, which you expect Arizona to be better, you expect the Giants pitching to be there. San Diego's not going to be good for a while. Colorado, we don't really know. I don't think their team or, you know, they have a finished product as far as what we're going to see when the season starts. But the Dodgers could compete in that division. Now, are they looking to dump Ethier? I don't know. I think it would depend on what, what else is out there. But I did propose a thing here. Let's say the Boston Red Sox got in on it, and they were interested in Ethier to play right field for them. They just shirt up their bullpen, adding Melanson as a setup man from the Astros. They added Andrew Bailey from the A's to be their closer. And let's say they make a move for a starter, and they add a Corota, so their rotation is complete. What about a flop of Andre Ethier for Daniel Bard? And that might work. That might help both teams. Going back to what I was saying before about the trade system being ruined by greed. This is a trade that could work. It's a fair trade that could work for both teams. Dodgers want a reliever. Daniel Bard could be their closer. And there's no question the guy is still an amazing talent. I know he struggled at the end of last season, but he still has the talent. And the Red Sox would get their starting right fielder. You got an outfield of Ethier, Jacoby Ellsbury, and Carl Crawford. It's not bad. And he put it on with the rest of the players they got on that team. There's no reason why that team won't score a lot of runs. But I think a Bard for Ethier trade could work. Another trade possibly, Andre Ethier to the Phillies for Dominic Brown, which I think could help both teams. You know the Phillies are still looking for an outfielder. They signed Ty Wigginton, who's going to play either third base or the outfield. But Ethier would certainly be an upgrade for what they have. Remember, Raul Obanez isn't coming back. And there hasn't been any talk about him. I see him probably going to an American League team as a DH, maybe in the middle of this month. But the Phillies are looking for an outfielder. And Dominic Brown's been a prospect for a couple years and they've been waiting for him to jump in there and be a regular player. And if you're the Dodgers, a team that isn't really there yet, and you could get a Dominic Brown to play left field for you for 150 games and just run him out there and see what the numbers come back. I think that would be a good trade for both teams. Another thing I was talking about, I'm actually going to be able to do a couple shows and I'm hoping to be able to do them off location. But as the new year comes around, and as much of a Met fan as I am, I start jumping on the schedules. I start looking to see what games I'm going to be able to go to. I plan my trip down to Port St. Lucie every year. And this year I'm going to be down there from the 20th to the 29th. Now, a couple things that we're guaranteeing right here. We're going to get some interviews. I got some interviews last year when I was down there. The players are very accessible. I bring my little recorder. I got my media pass. We end up we end up having some good conversations. So I'll be able to do is I'll have some good interviews with some of the players down there, some coaches, and we'll pop them up and we'll uh, we'll be able to play them on the show. 
Uh, my goal is to get down there and hopefully be able to do one broadcast from Port St. Lucie, which I think will be tremendous. Like I said, I'm going to be down there for, uh, for 10 days from the 20th to the 29th. And I'm ended up, I'm going to get tickets for nine games while I'm down there. Going to, you know, make a little of it for my family. But I'm um, going to be able to definitely get a lot of good information out there. Can't wait to play some of the interviews on the air that I'll be able to get. And my goal, I'm going to do a broadcast from Port St. Lucie. A couple other things I was looking at. Opening day, I'm going to be down there in, uh, in um, you know, at City Field watching the Mets play the Braves. I'm going to try to get down there early. Usually, um, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get a lot of remote information, but uh, I'm definitely going to put some, put some stuff on there about opening day and how that goes out and everything. Um, for what was it? This 18th, 19th, and 20th of May, the Mets are making a trip down to Toronto. And they play the Blue Jays at the Rogers Center, formerly the Sky Dome. And I'm really I'm looking forward to that because I'm going to take the trip up there. I'm going to spend a weekend there. Uh, I'm going to see how I could do as far as credentials and getting interviews and stuff like that. But uh, my goal is to do a remote broadcast from Toronto, which I think would be outstanding. But we'll see how that ends up working out. But um, in June, the Trenton Thunder have a three-game home series against the Binghamton Mets on uh, 8th, 9th, and 10th. I, I think I'm definitely going to be able to get some there. I think I might want to be able to do a show down there. We'll see how that goes. And uh, Savannah Sandnats, the uh, low-A affiliate of the Mets, will be in Lakewood, which is right near my hometown of Jackson, New Jersey, on the uh, July 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. So I'm going to do some similar stuff over there. So we'll definitely see how all that works out. Number here is 201-257-5650. I'll be on for about another 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, I've been talking all along about Scott Boris and Prince Fielder, who right now is his top client amongst the free agents that are left in the field, really looking for a new home. And I've said all along, Prince Fielder is going to end up with the Washington Nationals. The Nationals have the deep pockets. Regardless of what you're hearing now, I think they're downplaying the situation. They say they have Adam LaRoche playing first base. They could either move him to the outfield or move him all together. And maybe they're hoping that the price goes down a little bit. And I think as you get into January and you're a guy like Prince Fielder, even if you have the agent like Scott Boris who has the reputation, who has landed the biggest players, the most money for years and years and years, if you're Prince Fielder, you might, have, might start getting worried a little bit. You know, the thoughts of getting $200 million in 10 years or $250 million in 10 years might not happen now. And as we go into the middle of January and maybe even into February, the price is going to go down. And the Nationals have the deepest pockets right now as far as the remaining teams that are looking for an outfielder. The match made in heaven would be the San Francisco Giants, who got all that pitching and no offense. They need a guy like Prince Fielder but they can't afford him. They're not going to be able to sign him. He's going to end up with the Washington Nationals, but the question is when. I don't think they're going to jump now. They may have to wait a little while, but Prince Fielder will be with the Washington Nationals. What that's going to do for the National League East is probably make things a little harder for the New York Mets. But in the end, Prince Fielder will be the Washington National. And when it happens, I'm going to tell you I told you so. 
But uh, I, read, I read an interesting article about Boris's clients. There's quite a bit of them still on the free agent market. And I know Scott Boris has done a lot along the lines of waiting, you know, waiting things out, throwing mystery teams, kind of getting the bidding up, making sure his players, especially the lucrative ones, not sign on the dotted line until he gets the most money for the players. But let me name some Scott Boris clients that are on the free agent market right now. Prince Fielder, Ryan Madsen, Carlos Pena, Edwin Jackson, Johnny Damon, Yvonne Rodriguez, Jason Varitek, Maglia Ordonez. And obviously the other players I'm going to name here are lesser, are lesser profile, like a Rick Ankiel, an Alex Cora, Kevin Millwood, Michael Gonzalez, Ryan Spillboards, Xavier Nady, and perhaps even J.D. Drew if he hasn't retired yet. So we're looking at 15 players right there. They're all represented by the same agent, Scott Boris and his company, and they're not signed yet. It's January 5th. This is the time where stuff has to start happening. And if any of these players are sitting at home wondering about their future, as another week or two goes by, it might be worth being concerned about. Now, like I said, I, th I think Fielder will end up with the Nationals. Ryan Madsen, I think, would be a great fit for the Chicago Cubs. St. Louis was a possibility. I like him in St. Louis. Carlos Pena, I said, Milwaukee would be a good fit, especially after they lose Fielder. Edwin Jackson will probably be the pitcher that the Toronto Blue Jays end up adding. They're, I think, the only ones that are being willing to go anywhere near the five years and $75 million that Boris is asking for. I think that's ridiculous. A guy like Jackson, who's been nothing but a 500 pitcher, has bounced around from six teams in the last five years. And you want to pay him as much as C.J. Wilson is making. I think that's a little crazy. So that price is going to go down. Might go in a three-year range. Maybe the Blue Jays are the ones that pony up that fourth year. Maybe make it an option. But I could see Edwin Jackson being in Toronto, which I don't think would be a bad fit. Johnny Damon's still out there. I think the Rays will re-sign him. He provides, provides a lot of leadership. I think he had a good year with them last year, both on the field and in the clubhouse. They like him there. I think he's attainable. He's not going to look for anything more than a one-year deal. They're not going to pay him a lot of money, maybe about $10 million. Yvonne Rodriguez. The question about Yvonne Rodriguez is, does he still expect to be paid like a first-string catcher? And if he does, he might not have a team this year. He's going to have to take a job as a backup for somebody. Now I don't know what that team may be. To be honest, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now if I can think of a place for Yvonne Rodriguez. You, uh, Met fans have told me the Mets could be a good fit. You put him there with Josh Tolley, he makes Josh Tolley a better catcher. But the question is going to be, how much is this guy looking for? You know, is he at the age he is now looking for two years? And as I said before, Sandy Alderson's looking to pay players a million and a half or less. And I can't see Yvonne Rodriguez, even if he was 50, taking a contract for less than a million and a half, let alone, you know, a million, which I think is what Alderson's looking to pay somebody. Jason Varitek, I think, will either retire or go back to the Red Sox. I know they added Kelly Shopik as a backup. 
I think in the end, Varitek will either be with the Red Sox or retire. Magalio Ordonez may end up going to a team that's looking to looking for a DH, maybe Oakland. I can't see him going to an impact team. I can't see him, you know, being a uh, an, an Angel or a or a Ranger or something like that. And then you know the other players, like I said, are not as relevant. I don't think they're that important right now. But a lot of stuff coming on next week. Like I said, Justin Silverman's going to be on. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of New York Mets baseball, which I think will be fun. Um, we'll open up the phone lines once again. The number's two zero one two five seven fifty six fifty. And I want to throw a throw a shout out for my uh, my Facebook and Twitter real quick. Uh, my JohnPielli.com Facebook page is almost up to a hundred likes. Uh, you like what you hear today? Just pop it on. You know, throw throw a couple likes in there. If I could get the number to go up a little bit, I'll do something as far as giving prizes for, you know, let's say my 150th like or my 200th like or stuff like that. I, I got some uh, some decent prizes, Major League Baseball related, that I could give out, which I think will be fun. Um, my, you know, you can follow me on Twitter, John underscore Pielli. I'm almost at 700 followers. So everybody that's followed so far, everybody that's contributed to reading the blogs and stuff like that, you know, I want to thank you. Uh, what I've done is I've tried to follow as many baseball fans as possible, which I, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, you know, I like baseball. You like baseball. You know, we should definitely be able to network together. And, you know, I'm glad for, you know, I'm happy for anybody that's been able to tune into the show over the past couple months, which has been great. Um, like I said, I'm almost at 700 followers. And like I said, I don't ask for more. I, you know, I appreciate, you know, everybody that's come in there and, the good thing about it is I'm talking about, you know, 700-some followers that are decent. They're not just random spam people. They're baseball fans, just like me. And, you know, I, I post a blog or I post a statement, and I get feedback right away. And that's pretty damn good. I enjoy that. I think that's tremendous. So I want to thank all you guys who have really, really done a, done a lot helping me out. Uh, Bases Empty blog is doing tremendous Really have, really have done a great job with it. Like I said, I like recapping some of the stuff on the show, just in case you weren't able to read it. And I want to thank everybody for the feedback. I've really gotten some good feedback. I, I enjoyed some of the feedback I got on the Billy Wagner article. You know, somebody that didn't agree with it. But we had a good discussion, and that's what's great about it. You don't have to agree with me. And you know what? I hope on some things you don't agree with me with. Because I think you know, I I think that's all that's all that matters. We want to have discussion, but as long as you know what you're talking about, we're on the right track. I'll be back with you next week. One twelve, five to six p.m. Passball show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Uh, Casey Stengel says, "Don't cut my throat. I may do that later myself." Hope to catch you next week. Have a good day, guys.